You're listening to the Mothering Joy Podcast Season 2, Episode 4. Independence Day is next week, and this is a holiday that my family really loves. We make the six and a half hour trip to northern Minnesota to celebrate with my dad's side of the family. This has been a tradition in my family since before I was born, and it's something that I feel so blessed to be able to share with my kids. I also want to share with my kids how blessed we are for our freedom, and I want them to grow up knowing that they have the privilege to live their life in a way that they choose, and that that's a privilege that should be really celebrated and never taken for granted. I wanted to do an episode sharing about a big way that I exercise my privilege of freedom, and that is manifesting my dreams of having a homestead. This is something that a lot of people wouldn't ever want to do, (laughs) but it's a dream that's in my heart, and I feel so thankful to have the freedom to work towards this dream. We are far away from actually living this out, but right now we are manifesting our homesteading life in little ways every single day. So in this episode, that is what we're going to get into. Hey there, I'm Meg. Crunchy mama, storyteller, and imperfect homemaker. I'm raising two beautiful babies in the rolling hills of Wisconsin, and I am learning every single day. Here, I celebrate the joys of motherhood, but I also get real about the trenches that young moms find themselves in and how we can nurture joy in the daily grind. This is the encouragement you need to thrive through your days spent being mama. This is the Mothering Joy Podcast. I grew up in the suburbs of Minneapolis, and I had literally never heard the word homestead before. No, Little House on the Prairie was not a part of my childhood. The first time that I heard the word homesteading was probably about five years ago. I remember I was attending a workshop for female small business owners. At the time, I had a small batch sustainable clothing label, and this workshop was to help women connect their businesses to their lifestyle and their purpose. And at the workshop, I remember I was explaining how I felt so passionate about sustainable clothing and small batch American-made products, but that I felt like I was just missing a piece. My clothing label didn't feel 100% aligned with my purpose. And I was explaining this idea of just living in a more connected way. I wanted to be more than just a consumer, but a creator in my everyday life. And I couldn't put my finger on exactly what was missing. And then someone offered the idea of homesteading. And I remember I had to write it down. You know, I grabbed my phone and I was like, homesteading. <laughs> like, how do you spell that? So um, I just didn't want to forget. And I started finding, once I got home, I started researching. And this idea that had been so foreign to me found Like I found out it was exactly the thing that I was looking for. I found this whole online community of women who were living in this way. Two of my favorite people that share their homesteading life are Shay Elliott of the Elliott Homestead and Angela Reed of Parisian Farm Girl. They have a really fun podcast called Homemaker Chic, and I've linked that in the show notes for anyone who's kind of interested in learning a little bit more about this and in a really fun and lighthearted way. My life looks super different than these homesteading moms. We don't live on a farm. We don't have any animals, not even a dog. We don't grow very much of our own food. 
but I am manifesting my homesteading life and here's how. I start in the kitchen. The first thing that I did to manifest my homesteading life is I learned to cook. Uh, My mom, I don't remember this. I can't tell you that it's true, but my mom likes to make fun of me that when I tried to make macaroni and cheese when I was younger, I didn't boil the noodles. I just tried to make it with the noodles hard. So that kind of gives you an idea of where I started on my cooking journey. But the spirit of homesteading, for me, it really starts in the kitchen. It looks like eating locally and organically as much as we can. And to do this, of course, the homesteading homemaker needs to know how to prepare whole foods. So learning how to cook with whole foods has been a huge learning curve for me. I did learn that if you want to eat pasta, you need to boil it first. You may remember in season one, episode six, I shared about our plant-based days and the root vegetable bake that ended it all. So that kind of, if you want a little bit more of a peek into how I learned to cook with whole foods, you can check out that episode. I grew up not eating a lot of whole foods, you know, like the macaroni and cheese was kind of where it was at for me. (laughs) And in all seriousness, I mean, my mom did a great job trying to nourish us well. Like we just didn't have the information that I have now about how important it is about where we're sourcing our ingredients and that we're creating our meals from whole foods. Um, So before I could even start thinking about growing our own food, I had to learn how to prepare the kinds of food that I wanted my family to grow up eating. You could say that I'm really reverse engineering the farm to table part of this homesteading lifestyle. I'm starting with the final product that I want to have, which is nourishing food on the table for my husband and kids. And then I'm working backwards to get to a place where most of what we eat is actually grown and raised by our own hands. And over time, I've learned how to prepare meat. I've become competent making various sourdough breads from scratch. I've learned how to cook nourishing meals that my family really loves to eat. Once I was getting comfortable cooking with whole foods, I started to look at where I was actually getting my ingredients from. The more I learn about nourishing our bodies well, the clearer it becomes to me that it matters probably the most when it comes to nourishment, the quality of the ingredients. On a homestead, most of the ingredients are coming from your own land in the way of plants and animals that you have raised. When I started this, I was nowhere near ready to do the kinds of things it would take to produce most of our own food. Things like owning a cow were totally out of the question. Okay, owning a cow is still probably out of the question, but we're going to just see how things go here. I am developing an affinity for raw milk, which I'm going to get into in a little bit. But because I wasn't ready to take on raising and growing our own food like animals, I started looking for local sources of quality food. And the biggest food item that I swapped out to start was our beef. We started getting half of a cow from a local farmer. And then so that's like you buy the cow and then they send it to the butcher and then you basically just get like coolers full 
of cuts of meat and ground beef and it all goes in the freezer and so I had to learn how to cook with all these different types of cuts of meat that I wasn't even familiar with before and in you know when I'm planning the meals like I need to be thinking about what do we have in the freezer sourcing our meal ingredients from the freezer instead of the grocery store is still something that I'm learning to do because it really takes a different way of approaching the meal. We do, so we I really do enjoy getting our food this way, our beef, and then we also get our pork this way and we also get chicken this way. And those are like the three main meats that we're really eating. Buying my meat in bulk was something that my cousin was actually doing. So like it didn't feel super weird to me to start to do this. When I started to get a little bit weird is when DJ's eczema was really bad. And I started looking into raw dairy products. I had heard how beneficial they were for children's development and supplying growing kids with the nutrients that their young bodies needed. Finding raw dairy can feel like you're trying to do something super sketchy, like shop on the black market and I don't know, I don't even know what you buy on the black market, but (laughs) you feel like you're on the black market when you're looking for some raw dairy, which this just seems really backwards to me because this is a food that God gave us and it's an important source for nutrients like fat-soluble vitamin A, D, E, K, vitamin C, all of the B vitamins, including folate, which is super important for pregnant mamas and little growing brains, iron, minerals like calcium, phosphorus, and zinc, as well as essential trace minerals. Like these are all found in raw milk. These are all super important for the human body and they support all kinds of important bodily functions. Raw milk also supplies enzymes and carrier proteins to ensure that 100% of every nutrient is absorbed, which is just really cool. (laughs) And pasteurization actually destroys all these important cofactors and it deactivates the vitamins and the minerals. Pasteurization also destroys the good bacteria that's found in raw milk that gives the body super beneficial probiotics. Pasteurization started in the United States in 1950s around there and this was around the same time that food systems were becoming more centralized and um, you know if you know anything about like our food systems you kind of understand that like when you start to centralize things when things become bigger um, then a lot of times like the bottom line becomes a the most important thing and safety measures get missed and things get missed and so pasteurization became like an efficient way to keep the food safe when um, maybe some other safety measures um, were not being taken if that makes sense. Um, I'm gonna leave it at that Um, because basically all the dairy you get now has been heated to very high temperatures to kill the bad bacteria which also obviously kills the good bacteria and there's a lot of debate about whether or not raw dairy is safe to consume. I believe that The fact that dairy in its raw form supplies so many of the nutrients our body needs, 
Like this is evidence to me that God intended us to eat raw dairy. I believe that if this milk is coming from cows that are pasture raised and are being taken well care of, then then it's safe. Raw milk also contains numerous bioactive components like within itself that kill pathogens, strengthen the immune system, and prevent pathogen absorption across the intestine wall. So I don't know. This is just like overwhelming evidence for me that God created this perfect food for us humans to be able to eat. Um, And I did not always believe this. Like I really um, aligned with the vegan way of thinking, you know, like, well, humans are the only species that drink the milk of another animal. Um, You know, that's an argument you hear a lot. And I guess to that, my thinking has changed. Like God maybe didn't design other animals to be consuming the dairy products of different mammals. But I do believe that the science to me is overwhelming that that cow's milk is a really great nutrient source for humans. So that's the proof in the pudding for this mama. But, you know, every mom has to decide this for themselves if raw milk is a good fit for their family or not. Because, of course, these protective systems can be overwhelmed, as in the confinement dairies where cows just live in incredible filth. You know, this is kind of what I was alluding to before. But, um, you know, they're forced to stand in manure. They're, you know, just living in conditions that really do not promote wellness in the cows. And then that does not produce healthy milk. So this is why if you're going to go the raw milk route, you really want to make sure you're getting your milk from cows that have been allowed to graze on pasture. For me, the benefits of raw dairy far outweigh the costs, but like I said, every mom really needs to decide for themselves if this is a good fit for their family. I have learned so much about raw milk from the Weston A. Price Foundation, and I have also found the farmer we use to get our dairy from the foundation. They have a really great source that um, links people to the farmers around them that are offering raw dairy so I have linked all of that in the show notes if you guys are interested in learning more about raw dairy and if you'd like to try it out yourself I am so thankful that I discovered raw milk my body doesn't process pasteurized milk well Uh, I would have to argue that most bodies don't actually because the beneficial bacteria that's naturally found in the raw milk is supposed to aid the digestive system in breaking it down and nourishing us. But um, when that good bacteria is destroyed, when it's getting pasteurized, then our bodies are like, wait, what? Like, where are the, where's the bacteria that's supposed to be helping us break this down and turn it into nourishment for this body? And so they get confused. And a lot of times, you know, that leads to not very pleasant outcomes for our bodies. But I love that I can give my kids the raw dairy and know that they're getting these beneficial natural probiotics. They're getting a readily available source of immune-building nutrients like vitamins A, D, C. And they're getting a wide variety of vitamins, minerals, essential fatty acids, and other important compounds. Once I had local sources for our meat and our dairy, I turned to our fruits and veggies and where I could get local sources of these things. 
I found two farmers that I really love. I met them at the farmer's market and now like I have a good relationship with them. I even will go straight to their farm and be able to pick up tomatoes, peppers, lettuce, carrots, potatoes, and whatever we are looking for to enjoy fresh and then also to preserve. So if you are someone who wants to eat locally and organically all year long and you live in the Midwest, then you really need to find a way to preserve your vegetables and fruits. This is something I learned early on, but it wasn't intuitive to me. Like it makes sense. It makes sense to me now, but at the time I was like, wait, like I don't get it. Like grocery stores have fresh veggies all year long. Like why can't I, why can't I do that? Gosh, talk about being disconnected, like from where your food is coming from. But the reality is, where I live in Wisconsin, we have a pretty short growing season. And so I need to be able to preserve the harvest so that we can eat it all year long. The main way that I preserve my veggies is with my freeze dryer. And I got my freeze dryer in September. I've been getting a lot of questions about it, so I'm going to share just a little bit about it right now. Freeze drying is really, like I said, the only way to eat locally and organically all year long. That's simple. You know, I mean, you can do it other ways, but it's freeze drying is just really nice because it's like a dehydrator, but it takes out 100% of the moisture from the food so that you remove the liquid and then you put in oxygen absorbers in the bag that you're going to store it in you seal the bag closed and then it should last for like 25 years which is insane our freeze dryer is from harvest right and i can link it in the show notes it's definitely an investment but i just realized that this was the only chance i had in preserving the harvest being in a smaller town we, I don't have access to organic foods really, um, not close by anyways. It's a tremendous effort and cost if I want to go out to the store and buy organic foods. But like I was kind of explaining, even if I did live somewhere where I could go to a health food store and get organic food all year long, it's not going to be local. And I think there's really something to be said about eating locally also, um, especially if I'm approaching life from this kind of homesteading aspect like the local piece seems important to me so the freeze dryer is really the way to go about doing things I like to freeze dry fruit because it's really easy like when you think freeze dry I feel like a lot of people think freeze dried strawberries or freeze dried fruit and it's really easy to just slice up fruit and stick it in the freeze dryer but I also preserve a a lot of veggies through soups Um, with the freeze dryer also so I like to prepare meals that we want to be eating in the winter like chili or sloppy joe goulash various soups and I like to make these in the summer when all the ingredients are fresh and then I can make the soup put it in the freeze dryer you can freeze dry liquid things and then it basically just turns into a powder so I put the powder into the bag seal it up and then I can just pull it out in the winter time It's so nice to be like, oh shoot, I didn't think about dinner. Go to the pantry, pull out my chili that's freeze dried, put it on the stove with a little bit of water and we have a perfectly rehydrated, fresh, organic, local meal, which is pretty awesome. I also really like to make applesauce and then freeze dry it and this I do the same way as soup. It just kind of turns into a powder 
and then it's super easy to rehydrate on the stove and my kids just love applesauce so this is a really convenient way for me to be able to keep that on hand and it's it's fun because like we're getting the apples off our tree and then I'm making it into applesauce we're eating it all year it's just it's less messy than canning for me I really I'm not a great canner like my success rate in canning is like 50 percent so the freeze dryer really simplifies things for me. A lot of times like it's just not realistic for me to try to be making all the meals we're going to eat in the winter in the summertime and then preserving them. That's ideally what I would like to do but a lot of times I end up just preparing the ingredients, the fresh you know vegetables that we're going to need for these meals and then freeze drying the the ingredients like before they're put into the meal. So like I'll do crushed tomatoes, I'll do chopped peppers. Those are like two good examples of how I can prepare the ingredients. So then when I'm ready to make these meals in the winter, I can just pull them out of the pantry, whip up the meal and be ready to go and it saves me a lot of that prep work. So that's pretty nice also. Please let me know if you have any questions about the freeze dryer because this is something I really like to talk about. I feel like it's kind of this, you know, in life right now where we're existing in the world, I feel like there's this cool overlap of like where the old ways of doing things and like the new ways with technology are kind of overlapping in this like really cool way that could be like an awesome an awesome way for the future to exist and I just think that freeze drying like definitely lives in that space and I get pretty excited about it. I will still try canning some things you know with my 50% success rate but there are just some things that are better canned like salsa, jalapenos, things like that. I also will still freeze some things that it just doesn't make sense to go through the work of freeze drying. I'll freeze like leftovers or when I make a batch of stock, we go through that really quickly so it just makes sense to keep it in rotation in the freezer instead of take the time and the energy to actually freeze dry it. The holiday weekend is here and Joe and I are about to pack up the car, grab the kids, and make the six and a half hour drive to northern Minnesota to celebrate with my dad's family. As I'm packing up, I am so thankful for the Tubes & Co. products that bring us a little bit of comfort from home when we're on the road. Not only am I packing up these products for myself, but I'm also bringing them for my kids. So I'm loading our bags up with the Sun Balm. That is a really wonderful, non-toxic sunscreen that I use to protect our skin when it's in the sun. And I'm also loading it up with their regular balms. So that is what I use when our skin is just a little bit dried out, maybe had a really wonderful amount of fresh air, but is just needing a little bit extra nourishment. Earlier in this episode, I talked about my passion for American-made products from companies that are family-owned, small, and just doing things the right way, and this is Tubes & Co. Please head over to Tubes & Co. and just learn about their story, learn about how they started this business on their family farm, and it everything is still made in small batches. It's a really wonderful story. I'd love for you to check it out. And while you're there, check out some of their products too. If you see something you love, you can use the code MOTHERINJOY10 at checkout for 10% off your order. At the same time that I was starting to source my ingredients from local farmers, 
I also started a garden, which has been another huge learning curve for me. The funny thing about me wanting to be a homesteader is like actually 0% of these things come naturally for me. So I talked about the garden in season one and I will link that episode in the show notes too to give you a little bit of like the comedy of me trying to be a gardener. But you know what? We're getting there. And the garden is something that I just keep small as I'm learning and as we have young kids and not a lot of time. I keep it small right now because in truth, I would rather fail small than big. I get a lot of our vegetables from these local farmers still, and that's kind of where I plan on sourcing my veggies from when I'm thinking about preserving and what meals I want to have. And then whatever is from the garden is kind of just like a bonus. Like it's just super rewarding and fun when I'm actually getting to harvest things that I have grown and that I can let the kids help me harvest and we can kind of learn together side by side. Because that's a really big reason why I'm doing this. Like it's for my kids so that they can grow up like and this stuff can just be like innate for them and they don't have to be like a total amateur beginner like I am. (laughs) I'm really hoping that as I go along, like my garden will be able to get bigger and bigger and I'll be able to lean more on my own vegetables that I've grown and less on the farmers that I've been purchasing from. But I'm not going to rush this. I'm not going to, when the second I try to, you know, make it be like worth it in my own head, then it becomes stressful for me. And it's like, I'm just not going to justify the cost of the garden right now because my yield is so small. I'm probably not actually saving money gardening, but I'm learning and it's a learning process. And it's important for me to remember that gardening is a skill that I want to have. It's something that I really value and it's part of my own personal development. And that's enough. That's enough for it to be worth it for me. What's making me super excited right now as I am getting strawberries from the local farmer's market is the idea of someday being able to grow all kinds of fruits on our own property and having just kind of like this wonderful homestead orchard with apple trees and pear trees. I want blueberry bushes and strawberries and raspberries. Like I just love that idea of being able to go out into our yard, harvest all these wonderful fruits, and then preserve them. So that is like the long-term plan. But for now, I'm just manifesting that life with strawberries and different fruits right now from our local farmer's market. And that is so enjoyable and exactly what we need right now. Another way that I'm manifesting my best homesteading life is I am learning to care for animals. Like I said You guys, like, I've never even had a pet. Like, not a gerbil, not a fish, like, nothing. (laughs) I think I'm just, like, this weird anomaly creature who, like, has very little connection with living things that aren't humans. I'm not really sure. You can talk to my mom about it. But I used to be terrified of chickens. And I'll tell you, I've not 100% overcome this fear. But it's just, like, something about their feet and their and the way their eyes look at you like I just I don't like it but chickens are referred to as the gateway drug of homesteading because they're just a really good place to start when it comes to caring for animals they're small they don't require a bunch of resources I mean with COVID I feel like the backyard chicken thing exploded and the neighbors on either side of us have chickens until I feel like I'm in a place where I'm ready to take on the chicken raising 
I am learning the ropes by helping our neighbors care for theirs. I'm not really doing a lot here, but you know, I'll watch them or I'll collect the eggs when they're out of town. I'll bring the chickens our food scraps and I bring DJ to do it with me. He gets such a kick out of it. And like these little ways that I'm like interacting with chickens and not wanting to run for my life, like this is how we're manifesting people. So that's kind of where we're at. And that's how I'm learning that this whole homesteading life is something that's really for me. I feel like I'm just trying it on and walking around in it a little bit. I'm kind of learning how far we want to take it. I'm learning what I love about it. I'm learning what's worth it for me and the parts that I'll probably always outsource and will never be part of our home ecosystem. But it's been a learning that's been really enjoyable and really exciting for me. I feel really blessed to have found this way of living that it's just a lot different than what I knew growing up. I had no connection to my food growing up, aside from a couple of really impactful experiences when I was younger. Um, I remember we would go pick raspberries with my dad and my grandma along the Mississippi River. My grandma's cousin had a giant raspberry patch. And once a year, we would go in the summer, we'd pick raspberries all day, and then the next day we would turn it into jam. And that was just like a magical moment in my childhood. I would make fresh bread with my grandma and my aunt. And again, like these these moments, these memories, they just spark me with like warmth and connection from my own childhood. And that's that's what I want for my kids. Like I want this to be my kids' whole childhood. Like I think there's something really special to be found there. I want them to see their food as sacred and something that they're connected to because they know the story of it. And this starts with me. Like if I want this for my kids, like I need to be, I need to humble myself in this. I need to be a beginner. I need to be open to learning so that I can evolve and become someone who can set this example for my kids. So everything I've talked about in this podcast are like the little ways that I am slowly building this life that I really want to to share with my kids. It's been so life-giving for me and I really enjoy having this podcast and being able to share it with other people too, especially people like me who have grown up really without even a concept of this, like without a concept of being connected to our food. This past weekend, I was at um, my grandparents' cabin and I was getting the fresh strawberries for me to preserve for Caroline. I like to do put them in the freeze dryer and then she gets yummy little freeze-dried strawberries all year but I had um, a quart and I was like you know what I'm gonna bring these and I'm gonna share these with my family in Minnesota and I put them on the table and it's like everyone just loved them and I remember my cousin's boyfriend was actually like you know what I've never actually had a strawberry like this like I have not had a strawberry that I didn't buy from the store that was super huge not super red, kind of flavorless, you know, because it's like that's what our food has turned into. And I asked him, I was like, does it taste different to you? And he was like, yeah. He's like, it's just juicier and softer. And like that just, I don't know, it lights me up. Like it lights me up to be able to share this different way of eating and preparing food that I have found that a lot of people that are very close to me, that I've known throughout my life, just haven't experienced yet. So if you are wanting to 
just geek out on this with me and be a beginner and talk about all the things I would love to I'd love to hear from you you can join my email list you can catch me on Instagram or you can just hang out and wait for next week's episode to come out anyway thank you so much for being here and for listening I can't wait to talk with you next time Mm -hmm.